So a little over a month ago, uh, Christy asked me if I would teach um, the second and third grade classes on Sunday mornings. And um, my natural response, I should never tell a whole congregation this because it's dangerous, but my natural response is to say yes to things. And that's dangerous um, because I always hate myself 10 minutes later. But um, I said, well, of course I'll do that. You know, I'm excited. I can't wait to go. And um, I, I've been, I was scared um, a little bit. Uh, kind of going into that. I was scared because I was thinking, man, I'm not going to have that prep time mentally before my sermon. I'm going to have to switch gears so fast. And um, nothing has excited me more for the last two weeks and three weeks than teaching that class. Um, it's crazy. It's amazing. Um, it's it, how much it's impacting me and preparing my spirit. I asked a class, in the, a question in class this morning. I said, you know, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? And someone said, to fill your brain with Jesus. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You know, exactly. And I I love it. Uh, We had an assignment that we're not supposed to talk about, and I'm just going to make it public. Um, So a couple of weeks ago, I gave him an assignment, and it was called Classified MT6. And uh, we were supposed to go out and do secret acts uh, for the week, and we had envelopes, and we were supposed to pray in secret, and fast in secret, and and give in secret, and try to find ways that we could do things like that. And I just wanted to share with you um, how much that's meant to me to watch and, and to see notes of uh, getting up early to clean the baseboards or to unload a dishwasher, um, and um, giving gifts in secret, and the kinds of depths of the prayers. And the reason I want to share some of that, even though I'm kind of betraying the confidence of what the whole class was, the reason I wanted to share that with you is is um, the excitement um, about doing something that is before between you and God. The excitement, you know, um, this isn't for anybody else. This is before God. I'm going to worship Him and serve Him and give and do something that no one knows about. Not those closest to me, but my God and my God alone. I'm going to. Worship him through what happens. And when you get excited about that, and that's your life, and that's what you're doing, it turns every day and every week into an adventure. And the reason I wanted to start that way is because this series that we're kind of going into, this isn't just like a New Year's sermon. This is actually a small series we're going into called Next. What is next? What is my next step? What happens next? God moved me forward. And this path of discipleship is kind of what we're, we're going to be talking about. Where are you taking me next? My prayer is that you look at 2019 with eager anticipation and excitement. And I know that that's not common, but I, I, I think, I think uh, the way we stand before a year, and I'm going to go ahead and say this ahead of time, because it's important that you know that I'm aware of this. I am completely aware that this year is going to be, there's going to be death. There's going to be a political mess. There is going to be um, probably cancer diagnoses. There's going, there are going to be difficult things we're going to pass through this year. This is not a sermon saying, listen, everything is going to be great this next year. Be more positive. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're going to have hard times. This is going to be a real year, right? But anticipate God in it. This isn't about what you're going to do this year. 
I think that that would just tear your spirit apart. If every year at New Year's we said, what are you going to do this time? But how different it is for us to step back and say, what is God going to do? Because God doesn't break his resolutions. And, and God is consistent. And so instead of getting excited about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to get excited about what I'm going to watch God do. I'm going to anticipate that. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be at camp with Caleb and Joshua? I'm sure you've thought about this before. With all these scenes in Scripture, whether you're in Hezekiah before 135,000 Assyrians or you're sitting here and you're Caleb and Joshua and you're at camp, there's always the negativity, isn't there? In Scripture, there's always the negativity. You have this one source of prayerfully leadership, but, but positivity is the wrong word. Faith is the right word, right? This one source of faith. And then there's all these naysayers that surrounded the campfire. And can you imagine what it would have been like to be Caleb and Joshua to be sitting there? And, and they say this. They said, we are going to devour them. And they're like, we're grasshoppers. We're nothing. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. They, they're bigger than we are. They have cities that are walled. We are just, we're just a bunch of clans. We can't stand up against nations. And Caleb and Joshua say, but God is with us. How about David when he rushes into battle against Goliath? And he says this, he says, you, you, you come against me? With a shield and a javelin and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord? I'm anticipating something great. I'm anticipating what God is going to do. And at the most, at the most disastrous situations in Scripture, God seems to do some of the biggest things. Joseph is sold into slavery. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's taken to a nation where he doesn't speak the language. Everything is a disaster. And God says this, man, I'm, I'm not going to say all things that happen in life are for your good. But I'm going to say this, no matter what happens in life, in all things, I am working for your good. And he's taken to Egypt, and all of a sudden, God, there's a whole nation. He stood on the edge of something and faithfully watched God work. Moses is led out of that nation. 400 years later, he's led out, and they stand on the edge of, man, I don't know, that night, they all stood with their tunics and their, their staff in their hand, and they ate, and they anticipated what God promised he would do. They anticipated it, and they didn't know what was next, but they went forward. And God did something powerful through that nation. When Joshua was led into the land, and we finally, when they got to go in, they stayed at this lady's house, this proper lady, Rahab. They stayed in her, her house. Her house is in the wall. It's crazy that her house is in the wall, right? Her house is in the wall, and they walk around the city anticipating that it's going to fall. Out of everyone in that city, this one lady is saved. And she becomes, and she's adopted, and she's part of Israel, and she never forgets this. And she has a son, and she says, I'm going to teach my son to respect women. I'm going to teach my son to honor the poor. I'm going to teach my son to show grace. And she has a son, and she says, I'm going to name you Boaz. And someday you're going to learn to show grace to a woman. And, and something that's in a disastrous situation, I'm going to turn it into something powerful and something beautiful. And Boaz, oh man, finds Ruth. And through them come David. And God takes these disastrous situations, 
over and over and over again. And he says, I'm going to work something beautiful for my glory in this. And in this time, in this place. And that's what God seems to do throughout Scripture. Whether he's calling someone out of a garden. Whether he's someone calling someone to cross the Jordan. To cross the Red Sea. You stand on the brink of something. And God says, I want you to move forward. I think one of the greatest mysteries in the Old Testament is the fact that God, the first, first one is this, that God said, I'm going to make my dwelling among my people and I'm going to set my tent among the tents of Israel. That's a mystery. It's profound. It's amazing. But, but what's even more mysterious to me is that when finally David says, I want to build a house for you, God's response is epic. I live in a tent. Why do you want to build a house for me? And what's so beautiful is how mobile God was. Every morning they would get up and look to the sky and say, where are you going, God? And they followed him. And Jesus was the same way when he called his disciples. One word that you see over and over and over again in the Gospels is come. Come, follow me. We're going to the next place. We're going to the next thing. I want you to keep coming forward with me. Um, the two greatest movies to watch around Christmas time. I hope you watch these movies. Every year, I watch one of these movies. But I'm going to start making a habit of watching the other one. It's a Wonderful Life and a Christmas Carol. Now, It's a Wonderful Life is, is a movie that Melinda and I watch together probably three times a year. Um, we watch this movie whenever we're bored. We don't talk about what are we going to watch. We're... Watch It's a Wonderful Life. We have every line in that movie memorized. It's, it's, that's our movie. I love that movie for so many reasons. And then I, I just became a fan of A Christmas Carol, mostly because do you know how many, how many different versions of A Christmas Carol there are? Um, guess real quick in your mind. Well, I look up the answer. Between 27 and 100 different ones. You could watch a different version of A Christmas Carol every Christmas for the rest of your life. Okay? And, and some of them are horrible, um, but some of them are amazing. Okay, that's a good movie. What, the reason I want to share these two movies with you is I realize they have something in common. These two movies is a spirit or an angel comes to somebody who has just become bitter. And the whole purpose of this visitor is to give new vision and perspective. And the whole power is just to say, I want you to step back and get perspective. I need you to get vision. And that vision transforms their life completely because they learn to see things differently. And it absolutely transforms them. Imagine if you were visited by three spirits. The Jeff of a year from now, the Jeff of... 10 years from now and the Jeff of 500 years from now. Not Jeff, because that's weird. You, the, ver- the future version of you from a year from now, were to come and speak to you. And the future version of you from 10 years from now. And then the future version of you from 500 years from now. You've been in eternity for a while. What would you say to yourself? What would the message be? That's crazy to me to think about. This isn't the kind of sermon where I'm trying to say, man, I don't want to fill our minds with regret or anything like that. It's impossible to live up to the standard that sometimes maybe we desire. But at the same time, the perspective that that can give you 
what really matters right now? What's really valuable? What's going to happen through me and this next year? Um, it's so good to have Jamie back with it. I think, yeah, Jamie's here. Jamie's making preparations. She's in the AIM program now to go to Mexico. And um, I was thinking about her. I've been praying about her. And I was reminded uh, when I was young, I met Melinda in the same program, actually. But I thought a lot of myself. And I was so excited about going to Quito, Ecuador. And, and I was going to, I was so excited about what was going to happen. Um, the kind of ministry I was going to engage in. And I, I was so filled with pride when, when um, my, my coordinator, uh, an amazing man, his name's Kent Markham. And he gave me this set of keys. I still have the set of keys. Uh, there are 16 keys on here. They're keys to the church building. And we had 16 keys to our church building because we lived in Quito, Ecuador. That's how many locks we had on the building. Um, and I was like, man, look at this position of prestige I've been given. And then he handed me a mop with these keys. And, and I was like, well, that's not what I was expecting. I came down here to do one thing. I thought it was going to be just nothing but bringing people to Christ and Bible studies and set me up to speak, teach me some Spanish. And I'm given these keys, and I became the church um, custodian. And on Christmas Eve, um, my first year in Ecuador, I spent alone in a church building mopping a floor because I couldn't get the help because everybody was at Christmas parties. And I was by myself mopping a floor on Christmas Eve, I still have the keys. I can remember what most of these keys go to. I hope they still work. I'll go down there sometime and prank people. But, but I think about that, and I think, I don't know what God has in store for me this next year. I don't, I don't know what he, what's up ahead. But God taught me a valuable lesson through these keys and through that mission. Whatever I've called you to do, I want you to glorify me in it. And you might be called to a season of pleasure, of blessing. I pray you exalt him through your praise. You might be called to a season of pain. I pray that you'd worship him and allowing him to comfort you. If it's in your righteousness and you're in a good place, then allow that to testify to the power of the spirit that's within you. If it's through your sin, then worship God by allowing his grace to be seen in you and glorify him through repentance. There is nothing that you will face this next year that is not a stage for you to glorify God on. Nothing at all. No amount of pain, no amount of pleasure, no amount of righteousness, no amount of sin. There's never a place where you can't glorify God. That, to me, is exciting. It's hard to hear for some of you. Because some of you are very real situations and hard situations. I love it that the Bible is not written about a book full of people going through good things, singing worship songs. This is a book of people that praised God through it all. Because, as Eric said this morning in the community comments, it's not about me. It's not about what I'm going to accomplish. And it's not about the resume that I'm going to present to Peter at the pearly gates. Because that's how it's going to work. That's not what it's going to look like. In the end, Jesus was my hope and my song and my grace and my praise. And it was never me. 
And through whatever happens in life and through whatever 2019 holds, that's where the anticipation is. This is what it says in Psalm 23. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a man who's going to go through the darkest junk in life. And above everything else, he murders people. He commits adultery. His own sin hangs over his head. This is his life. He failed God over and over and over again. And he's a man of God. And he says this, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the How can you say that with that kind of confidence? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm just going to share with you a few verses that I hope speak to you that deal with the, um, this theme of anticipation in Scripture. The first is this, Philippians 1.3. I love this prayer. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident he's still at work. Jeremiah 33 says this, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know. Ephesians 3 says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Jeremiah 29, you know this one. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. 1 John 3, I love this one. Dear friends, now we're children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Isn't the, isn't the fun part of Christmas, if, if you're into exchanging gifts, it's never the greatest gift that you receive. It's always the gift that's still unwrapped. It's always that one that you don't know about. Is a part of the Passover meal, a really neat custom that Jews had and still practice today, is at the beginning of the Passover meal, there's, it's, an un, it's, it's not a widely known custom, but this is something that is still practiced. There's something called the afikomen. It literally means what is to come. And you would have this bag, and it has three matzahs in it, and you would pull out one of the matzahs, and you would break it. And you would wrap it in fine linen, and you hide it somewhere in the house. This is an ancient practice. dates back to well before Christ, and is still practiced today. You would wrap it in fine linen and hide it somewhere in the house. Then all the children go to look for the afikomen. Where is it? And the big excitement comes when they find it and they bring it out. And it's not about the dessert because the dessert is a cracker. Okay? The Passover meal, if you've ever had a Passover meal, it's, it's really not all that. It's about the meal it is for the mind. It's what each one of these elements represents. The afikuman is just a dry cracker. But it represents what is to come. It represents all of the blessing and all of the grace and everything that God has still hidden from you that he is planning for you and your life and your future. It's a promise that we're given throughout Scripture. And so in running this race that we're running and have the privilege to run together, um, the truth is we're going to face pain in 2019. 
there are going to be births. New, new babies are going to be born to our family. We're going to have new people come and we're going to be excited about their work. We're going to have people that are bitter. We're going to have people that pass on. We're going to have to struggle through a lot of those things. But the beautiful thing that gives me anticipation, that gives me hope, that gives me something that I just look forward to is that I know this. Jesus Christ is present among us. His spirit is here. And that's something that is crazy to me. When I think about, we're going to watch a video in just a minute to kind of close out. But it's something that's crazy in my life whenever I get down. I've been a minister all of my life. That has not given me experience. I'm dumber now than I used to be. But all of my experience has been working with church. And there's been a lot of dark, dark times on that journey. And mostly dark, not because of what was happening outside of me and other people's minds. What was happening was what was within me and how I lost sight so many times of the fact that I'm working for God and not for men. And when I got consumed with what the t-shirts were going to look like or what the banners were going to look like, where it's everything organized, instead of God is present among us and we're working for his glory. And everything that I do is before this king. And when I get down and when I get bitter, because something doesn't go right, because a song is let off key, because something doesn't go right in a church service or something like that, and my spirits get bitter, which has happened to me a lot. Melinda will tell you. I lose the joy of the very obvious fact, the very obvious fact, that I wear the name Christ. And that I have this promise of eternity that is so outweighs this other stuff that comes up. How do you lose your joy? Jeremiah, after leading the most pathetic ministry in the history of ministry, he won no one to Christ that we know of, Lord, to God. He was thrown in a well. He was put in stocks for fools. And when his entire nation was led into slavery because he failed, in his, maybe in his mind, he didn't make an impact. And he watched every single one of them put on ropes and led by their noses off to Assyria, I mean to Babylon. And he is freed and he walks back. And he's told he can live where he wants to live and walk in freedom. And he goes back to a home where women and children are dying in the streets And it's an absolute disaster, and Lamentations is written. And he says, but I know this one thing. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. And that's where my hope is. That, to me, is the wisest and most joyful and most beautiful statement ever. I pray that this video that we're going to play impacts you the way it impacts me. And I pray for your ministry and mine as well in this coming year. Your life and your family. You are still going to have turmoil in your home. For many of you. You're still going to have the prayers that you pray in tears about those that are close to you that you wish there would be a restored relationship where you would pray that they would come to Christ. And there's going to be feelings of failure and there's going to be feelings of doubt. 
But I want you to know this one, this thing, and I pray that I will remind my spirit about this. You always have an opportunity to make the King of Kings smile. You always have the opportunity to bring glory to him in every circumstance, in every situation. And I pray that he'd give us the zeal and remind our spirits to do that. Father, I just want to, I want to praise you for the gift it is to have one more day in your kingdom. And regardless of what we face, whether it's blessing, whether it's pain, whether it's whatever it is, um, I ask that we would cause you to smile. There's no greater gift in this life that I can think of. Um, There's no greater gift than to know that I've done something to cause you to smile. And I lift up this next year to you. And I pray for your kingdom and I pray for your church that they would be one. That we would be marked by unity and humility. Uh, That your people uh, would reflect the very spirit of Christ. And our concern for the poor. And our concern for the hurting. And our deep, deep love for each other. Uh, Praise you for new life. And praise you for a fresh slate. It's in Christ's name we pray. change some things, set things straight. I wish I had a do-over. I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. It's hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought, I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? Took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay. Things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow redeems me through them. Who tells me I'm not the sum total of all my regrets? He tells me not to look back. Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate? I get a clean slate.